Good morning. It's great to see everybody here today in lieu of the weather and uh, of the sore backs from shoveling and whatnot. I myself uh, have a one-ton pickup that I plow with. It's got chains on all four wheels. I managed to put it in the ditch twice. So it's kind of amusing now. If you want to get more details, my wife took pictures of all the disaster. <laughs> anyway, it's great to see you all here. And we do have a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, the reception of new members, which was postponed from last week, will, be t will take place on the 19th of March. And that's Justin and Stephanie Sterling and Gail Owens. So we hope you'll be here for that. Uh, also, Annie Denham is sponsoring a Women's Ministry Craft Morning on Saturday, March 18th from 9 to 12 in the Billings Room. So there's going to be light refreshments and bring whatever craft project you like to work on. If you've got any questions, see Annie. Also, we're still in need of nursery volunteers, that male and female are accepted. Karis. Car I'm sorry, Karis. See Karis if you'd like to help out with that, please, or, or just sign up. And then the flower committee is also looking for uh, flowers to be dedicated in the morning for the morning worship, and they'll take money or flowers, I hear. Um, the men's breakfast scheduled for March 11th at 8 a.m. Uh, you need to bring something to share for six people. And any questions on that? Uh, Jeff Dedell or Dan Bruce. Please stand for the call to worship. From Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Quick prayer. Father, as we turn now to the Bible, may the Spirit of God be at work to enable us both to pay attention and then to understand and believe and obey your word 
to heed its warnings, to trust its promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to hymn number four, All Praise to God Who Reigns Above, and join with me.
You may be seated. Scriptural call to repentance today is Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Now for the prayer of collective confession from Psalm 25. Please join me. Be mindful and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of your youth or your transgressions. According to God's steadfast love, remember us for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Turn to us and be gracious to us, for we are lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of our hearts and bring us out of our distress. Consider our affliction and our trouble and forgive all our sins. Please take some time to silently reflect on your sins and confession. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Christ. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Sovereign Lord, most generous and omniscient Holy Father, thank you for your saving grace. In recognizing your greatness, it reminds us of our own failings and sinfulness. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness, your daily care, provision, and protection. Forgive us also for our forgetfulness of answered prayer. Watch over us, Lord, in our weakness and frailty. Help us to be more loving more patient, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We lift up Charlotte Croft for healing. 
And we praise you for the Bowers and the blessed birth of Cullen Crew Bower last Tuesday. We pray for Jay Warren as he deals with shingles and Mike Burnett with heart issues. We pray also for Brian and Kathy Birdsell, our missionaries of the month, as they reach out to diplomats in the UN. Prayers for Pastor Doug as he leads our services and our church. Give him wisdom, perseverance, and patience in all the tasks the Lord has laid in front of him. Thank you for the opportunities you have put forth for us to serve you. Visiting the sick and infirm, giving a hand up to those who are in need, serving on boards and committees and giving of our resources to the church. We thank you for those in our congregation that so freely and unselfishly give their time and talent to this church. Risen Lord, your life renews our hearts from within. Thank you that we carry your promise of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to work through us as we minister to the Lord and share your love with all. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The ushers are coming forward to collect the morning offering. Heavenly Father, how can we ever repay for what you have given us? For you have given all. We give back just a small portion of what you have bestowed on us so freely. We are so thankful, Lord, and we lift you up as our holy, holy Father.
In Jesus' name, amen. Affirmation of faith today is from the Apostles' Creed. Please repeat with me the sentences in bold, or the answers, actually, to the questions. Christian, what do you believe concerning God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What do you believe concerning Jesus? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, they will go to judge the living and the dead. Christian, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit and his work? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand for the doxology. Please remain standing for the scripture reading. Today it's in Leviticus 19, 1 through 9. I don't know about you, when I hear the word Leviticus, I, uh, I get a little panicky. Um, partially because I misunderstand, as I'm sure you do, the purpose of this book. Um, but it's there for a purpose, and it was quoted by Jesus several times, so it's got to be good. Um, so I, I think what uh, we're driving at here is, is the last verse. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Uh, it's like a public assistance program for the Israeli, Israelites, right? Uh, the farmers were not to completely, you know, harvest all the wheat. They're supposed to leave the edges and the corners, and that was for the poor people who, who couldn't uh, afford to buy food or were needy in some other way. So they could glean for themselves. Uh, you think about it, it's really a, a, great, uh, a great thing. Also in Leviticus, uh, in the New King James, it says the Lord spoke to Moses like 30 times. Imagine that. <clears throat> so
So now reading 1 through 9, Leviticus 19. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods or cast metal, of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over it over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he, ha- he, was, he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. And verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. The word of the Lord. Join me in singing 332, Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove. Please be seated. Thank you. Indeed, as we come to the Lord's holy word, that's been my prayer throughout uh, the last few days of asking the Lord to rekindle our hearts, 
that the, the Holy Spirit would work in us, and that because of his love for us, our love might be inflamed. Let's read God's word together. We're turning to Ruth chapter 2 in the Pew Bible in front of you that begins on page 222. Page 222, we'll read Ruth chapter 2, and I'll read the first three verses. Actually, I'm going to start in the verse before, the last verse of chapter 1, verse 22, and then I'll read from there down to verse 3 of chapter 2. Hear now God's holy and errant word. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Lord God, we pray that you would help us, that you, Holy Spirit, who gave these words initially, would work in and through them, as you've promised that your word will not return to you void, but it accomplishes your purposes, purposes to either soften our hearts or to harden them in our sin. And so we beg of you, Father God, on Christ's sake, that you would use these words to soften us, that you would make us moldable like clay in the potter's hands, and that you as the great potter would fashion us as vessels for honorable use, honorable use in praising your name, in communicating your love to our neighbors. Lord, we pray that you would indeed use us as vessels of honorable use. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you look in your order of worship to the notes that, that we have there, you'll find these three points as we look at the this first three verses of chapter 2 in Ruth. And it's really all about God's provision of the way in which God is providing for Ruth and Naomi, but also as a way of showing us how he provides for us as his people. And so you see the first thing there, that God provides a worthy kinsman in verse 1, that God provides a means for work and sustenance in verse 2, and then how God directs Ruth to work her relative's field in verse 3. And as we have been looking at this story, it's the, the book of Ruth is a story. It's a true story about real people who really lived and God's provision for them. And we've been looking at chapter 1 and seeing that sometimes God's provision for his people is great difficulty. And that that's not God losing control. It's not God forgetting about us. It is God committed to his purpose to make us more and more like Christ. And that that was true in the Old Testament, 
as much as it's true in the New Testament. And as God is at work, we find in this true story in Ruth the unfolding of how all of that works and the difficulty, the bitterness, the struggle that Naomi has gone through. And we saw at the end of chapter 1 that looking, that glimmer of hope in that they return to Bethlehem in the midst of the beginning of the barley harvest. And then we have in verse 1 it picking up and, and showing us a glimmer of hope of what's going to come. In, in literary terms, we would see this as foreshadowing, right? where, where God is giving a clue of pointing to what he's going to do and how he's going to refill Naomi, who has found herself empty. And so this foreshadowing was playing in my mind all through the week, and I kept remembering in 1 Peter the, the way in which God talks about this story of redemption, this not just how it's played out among Ruth and Naomi, but the, the broader story of, of redemption all throughout salvation history. And 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Catch what's going on. That, that Peter is talking to these people that are, are uh, dispersed all throughout the, the, the kingdom, believers in Christ. And he, he says, now concerning this salvation, this gospel of what we've been telling you, that Jesus has heard our cry, that he has come, that he has lived a perfect life, that he has died in our place, taking on the penalty that we deserved. Concerning this salvation of Jesus, who not only died on the cross for us, but raised again from the dead. He says, the prophets prophesied what was going to be yours, the grace that you would experience, that first generation of, of those at the time of, of Christ. And that the prophets were wanting to know what that grace was going to be like, how that would all happen. goes on in verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. The, the commonality of what was preached in the Old Testament is the same as what is preached in the New Testament. And the New Testament is that fulfillment of all those promises of the Old. The good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then it has this quizzical phrase. He's talking about this salvation of the Old Testament prophets prophesying what is going to come way after they've died, but has come now to these people who knew Jesus, who saw him and saw the fulfillment of all of these things. He says, these things, this news, things into which angels long to look. You, you catch the, the picture of the angels in heaven peering in to see how how is this going to happen? And we catch a picture of that at Christmas with the birth of Christ. We, we see the angels appear and announce the good news to, to the shepherds. But, but they also 
kind of linger and, and look into the manger to see God has come in the flesh. And they continue to watch in amazement. And so there's something of that in the Old Testament stories like Ruth that we've been seeing that picture for us God's love relationship for us as his people and work that out in the very real lives of the people like Naomi and Ruth. And so as we get to chapter 2, it's, it's there he begins to give a little bit more of the clues. We, we know plenty in chapter 1 about Naomi and his, her family not following the Lord, even though they're, they're part of God's people. They're, they're there in, in uh, Judah, in Bethlehem, but, but when they encounter difficulty, they go looking elsewhere in Moab. And they've now run out of other options. Naomi's husband has died, her, her sons have died, and so now it's just her and Ruth that come back to their homeland there in Bethlehem. And so we see that scene opening for us in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's. They're there back in Bethlehem. It's just the beginning of, of the barley harvest. Why does God bring up this relative? And it goes on to explain that, that this relative is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. One of the things I want you to see is the pattern that God has given to introducing the characters in this story in Ruth. Do you remember in chapter 1 how we met Naomi and her husband Elimelech? Just told us that there was a man from, from this place, from this clan in, in Bethlehem. And then later it gives his name and Naomi's name and the son's names. And we talked about how this could be anyone. This could be any family of the people of God, any member of God's church of Israel. They, they were struggling with the very same things that you and I now and the people of God then struggled with. And, and that's intentional in terms of introducing them in the same way. And in much the same way, they introduced Boaz, first as a relative, then as a worthy man, and then lastly give his name. And there's that introduction seemingly out of the blue. And then it picks up with what the rest of the story was going on at the end of chapter 1. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So it, it's morning, time to get to work. And we're going to look at God's provision of work here in just a moment. But first I want you to see in this foreshadowing of Boaz, we, we're presented with a new character in, in the story that God is working at and how God is the one who provides this relative. He's been working not only in Naomi's life and bringing her through the difficulties that he's brought her through, not only in Ruth's life in terms of drawing her to himself and having her come as a new convert into Judaism. But he's also been working among all of the tribes of Israel. 
Indeed, all the nations of the earth. And yet, even in all of these global workings that God has been engaged in, he cares for them individually. He cares for Naomi. He cares for Ruth. I was reminded of the way that Jesus spoke of this in Matthew's gospel, where he's talking to the people and explaining to them and dealing with their fears. He says, so have no fear of them, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus, in talking about their fears and the relationship we can have with the Father through Christ, he's talking about our value to the Lord, that he knows us, that he's numbered each one of our hairs. And, and so as Naomi and Ruth are walking through this difficulty, we, we have this foreshadowing that God is, has not forgotten them, that he is going to work. And somehow this mystery man of Boaz that it has just been introduced is going to, to play out in their favor. We also see in this a reflection of his relationship to the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and that he's a relative. Not only is each person precious in God's sight, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, you and even me, but he has knit us together in families and tribes and clans, and he knows the whole and all its parts. As this passage is, is talking about God's provision of his providential working in each individual's life, but also in our families and in the people of Israel together. He knows all of us and is working in these ways with all of us. There's the relationship between Naomi and Ruth, but also with their clan, with their people that they've gone back to in Bethlehem. And so God is at work in our families he raises up a man of faithfulness, in, in this case, Boaz, and he describes Boaz as a worthy man. Now, the, the term that's used there for introducing Boaz as a worthy man has to do with strength, but it also has to do with character and valor, that, that he's not just a powerful man who could be good or evil. He is a powerful man in God. He is one with character strength. He is one who is known of good reputation. And so God raises up this man of God to accomplish his purposes. And so often we feel like we look around and we're where are others that we can trust? Where, where are others that, that we know are, are walking with Christ? And that's not just our situation. I, 
Remember Gideon, that, that God finds his knees knocking. He's, he's uh, working at, at uh, getting enough food, and, and yet you can't be out in, in the open where you would normally throw the, the weed up and allow the chaff to be blown away. He's doing that in a wine press where there's, there's not any breeze, but it's, it's where he can hide. And God raises him up and, and blesses him and uses him in a mighty way. But, but he says, there's, there's no more left. Have you ever felt that way, like you're all alone? It's very easy here in Vermont and New Hampshire. You may go to offices or workplaces or social events where you may be the only Christian there. Think, ah, oh, this is so hard. God, am I the only one? And God said, no, I have many others that you don't even know. Again, for Naomi and, and Ruth, they come back to Bethlehem. They, they come back with shame that, that they don't need to bear any longer. But that's how they feel. And how are we going to even live? God has provided for them. He's provided not just a means for them eating, but he's raised up a godly, worthy man. Brings us to the second thing that we see of God's provision here in this text in verse 2. That God provides a means for work and sustenance. Sure, God could have brought Naomi and Ruth into Bethlehem and, and set them up and just you know given them a, a bunch of resources. But, but that's not the normal way that God works in providing for the poor. And they are poor. They're, they've come back and they don't have anything. They don't have the land that they used to have. They don't have any means, because they don't have any land, to grow food on. And, and so they come back, but they know that God has not only provided for all of his people, but he's provided specifically in the law for the poor. That's why we had you read that portion in Leviticus, that, that God had established that as he brings the people into the land and he gives them the, the land according to their tribe. He, he reminds them that he is the Lord. Did you hear that repeated again and again in Leviticus? And he also repeats several of the commands. Look, look back on, uh, if you have that... that um, passage there in front of you from Leviticus 19. It says, speak to all the congregation, everyone, rich and, and poor, to, to everybody. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's, that's the central thing of all of the commandments of God. And then he says, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Why does he bring that up? He's, he's reminding them of this that's right out of the Ten Commandments. To honor your father and your mother. And, and he's saying, if you, un, if you want to know what it means to be holy as I am holy, that's what the commandments are there for. To teach you and show you what holiness is all about. And it's, it's significant because he's going to get to verse 9 that Peter rightly said, okay, that's the, that's the focus of why I included this passage in our reading today. But that law concerning how we farm doesn't just come out of nowhere. 
it's connected to this command of God, the central piece, that we're to be holy as God is holy. And that that shows up in how we go about our everyday things like farming. And it's connected to our honoring of our mother and our father. Because when mother and father get older and can't harvest and do all the things that they used to be able to, that we're, we're honoring them, we're caring for them. That's all part of this package deal. And not only are we to honor our father and mother, but we're also to, to keep the Sabbath. This one day in seven that the Lord has said to set apart in his name, to not do our normal work on it like we do on the other six days. These are all connected to this holiness that God has called us to and to not make idols. Again, three of the Ten Commandments are restated here. And then he's talking about sacrificing our peace offering and what, what that all means as a way of our fellowship with one another. And that this is all tied in with our trust of the Lord and how that trust in him is what enables us to then take on what he gives us in verse 9. Verse 9 specifically have it having to do with how we go about reaping. And he, he's made provision in our reaping that we're not to reap right up to its edge between my land and my neighbor's land. And I, I don't gather everything that I can get. See, we, we tend to, particularly as, as Americans, we want to be as efficient and as effective as we can be. And so, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the latest technology of, of harvesting equipment. Right? They, they, it's amazing. Not only can you, can you sit in, a, in a, a comfortable chair that's air-conditioned or heated, and, and have all of those, those things. But, but those machines are able to get every last bit. Right? They, they, they chop up all the, all the wheat and are able to pull the, the wheat from the, from the chaff and do all of those things down to the millimeter. I mean, they're, they are precise. They are amazing technological things. But in our quest to be effective and efficient we can go to squeeze everything out of it that we possibly can. And God says that's, that's not the way that God's people are supposed to be. I remember when, when our kids were little and we were missionaries and had very little money, that every once in a while we would have to go on a, on a conference or a retreat or something with, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And, and one of the things that we found in, in staying in a hotel, you'd probably notice this too, is, is that if, you know, they leave things there in the bathroom with, with the shampoo and the conditioner and the body lotion, right? And those are all there. And they expect that you're going to use that every day. And so the, the, the maids come along and replace all of that stuff. But we didn't necessarily need all of the shampoo or all the conditioner or all the body lotion for, for one day. So what Kristen and I would do is we would, we would use what we were going to the first day of that, and then we'd stick those half-empty bottles in our suitcases. So the maids would come, and, oh, they, they all need replacing, right? And, and so we would then get those new ones and put those in the suitcases and use the, the half-used one. Oftentimes it was only... 
a third or even a quarter used, you know. So we could use the same bottles for like three or four days if we were there for a week and, and have four bottles of full shampoo, full conditioner, full body lotion that, that we would then take home. One time we had a, a shoe box that was overflowing with little bottles of, of shampoo and, and conditioner and stuff. Because we were on a budget that, hey, if, if the shampoo was not its normal 99 cent for the cheapo brand shampoo and, and it was $1.29, I mean, we felt that 30 cents difference. And, and so we're, you know, squeezing out every little bit. That my point is, do we approach things like that with, with whatever God provides in a way that ultimately is not trusting God's provision? Yes, we should be economical or cheap in, in certain things, but not if we are grasping. We're trying to squeeze out every little bit in a way that's not trusting God. I've got to provide. I've got to do this. And so he put in his law this for harvesting. And that was the way that, that people could get food to eat, even if they didn't have land on which to plant. And, and so we see that in God's law, a provision for the poor. But it wasn't just a provision for the poor. It was also a provision for the landowner. It was a way in which God was calling the landowners as well to trust him and provide for their brothers and sisters. It's what Jesus talks about in that it's better to give than to receive. That that's, that's part of what it means for us to trust God together. And so we find in this God providing a means of work that, that it's not a good thing to simply pay for everything for the poor, but, but actually have them to work. And again, we find that that's not just an Old Testament regulation of God being stern, but now in the New Testament, oh yeah, everything's free. No, in fact, we find in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, God giving these instructions that, that if a person won't work, that they shouldn't eat. Wow, that seems harsh. But it's actually a provision of God, of his grace, to say working is actually a good thing. There was work in the garden before the fall. The, the difference is, is now our work is more difficult because all of creation is broken. And so there are thorns and thistles. There are things about work that resist our good efforts. But it's still good for us to work. And so God provides for Naomi and Ruth through the Levitical system of gleaning. So again, that, that many of you uh, have not been on a farm. You've you know, not, not seen that. It, it's being able to go and get some of the, the harvest on the edges, in, in the, the little bits that are left over, that as the, the folks would go through their sickle, with their sickle and, and cut out the, the barley to take back to then uh, divide between the, the uh, barley and the, and the chaff, there were pieces of the barley that were left over. And so the poor could come and, and get those remnants, those pieces that, that were there. 
And so we see this same principle in the Old Testament and the New Testament of God's providing for the work of his people in, in being able to provide the things that they need. Now, there are differences, of course, in that this is God's people as the state of Israel. And there were things that were about the, the civic responsibilities that the law applied it to. But the same principle now applies to the church. That, that as God's people, we're not supposed to just be looking out for ourselves and our own family and then thanking God for it, but doing that in a, in a way that's disconnected from others. To, to think about the, the other people around us. To, to think about not only, hey, how can I do this to, to provide for me, but how can I also think of others? During COVID, we saw this in spades. Right? For whatever reason, in all of the, the COVID madness, you know, toilet paper was the thing that, that everybody had to have 800 packs of it at home. And so you go to the grocery store and there were no toilet paper rolls on any of the shelves. And then what would happen every time they restocked, right? It was like, you know, a blizzard's coming. All, all, everything's off the, off the shelves. People would, would go and get thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get toilet paper next week, so I'll get 20 things t today. Rather than thinking, oh, what, what about my neighbor who doesn't have any toilet paper? Right? We, we see this on Black Friday craziness. Have you, have you seen some of these things? Or maybe you've been there for, for Black Friday sales. And th there was one horrific article that I, what I saw that, that someone was beaten to death over a big screen TV. Right? They're all, you know, big screen TVs were on sale, Black Friday sale, and everybody's grabbing these, these you know, big screen TVs in the, in the boxes. And, and there were more people trying to get them than there, there were TVs. And so fight breaks out and someone is killed over a stinking TV. Rather than someone saying, oh, no, you, why don't you, you, you can have this. I'll, I'll, I'll go without the sale. No, man, I'm going to get my sale. And so God shows us through his provision for the poor the mentality, the way in which we are supposed to look at our things, how we're supposed to approach the harvest. And it's not just how can I get what's mine. But not only do we see God's provision in the means of work and sustenance, we also find God at work in specifically directing Ruth in the field. We see Ruth getting up and not, she doesn't, she doesn't sit there and say, woe is me, I'm in a foreign land, you know, I've got a, a mother-in-law, but that's my only family now, and, and how are we going to eat? No, she gets up and gets ready and goes to work. And she asks Naomi. She's, she's a good daughter listening to and seeking out her mother's counsel. And so she gets up and goes to work with Ruth's approval. Yes, go. And notice how she, she says that I may glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. The reality is we're going to see as we go into more of chapter 2 in, in 
Ruth is, even though this is a provision of God to allow for the poor to, to glean in the fields, it was also something that was quite dangerous. That if you go as a single woman in, in a field that you don't know who owns, that, that there is significant risk that's there. And then I love this. I hope that when you read through the scripture sometimes at home or you read together as a family over a meal or some devotional time, that as you read, you'll, you'll come to parts like this and, and actually laugh out loud. It's it just, I love God's humor. He says in verse 3, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Yeah, it just so happened, right? It just, oh, imagine that. What a coincidence. And of course, what God is doing in telling the story is engaging us and encouraging us to see his hand at work. How he, he foreshadowed, hey, Boaz, this relative of, of Elimelech's, is, is a godly man. He's a worthy man. And he's, he's there as, as well. And then he, it's his field that she happens to go in. Ruth doesn't know her way around. She doesn't, you know, she's, she's given the green light by, by mom to, to go and to begin uh, gleaning. And, and here she just so happens to come. Well, she didn't just so happen. It wasn't coincidence. It was God directing her to where she needed to be, to a place where she would be able to safely glean where she would find favor and be blessed in her gleaning. And so, again, we have this just kind of opening the door a crack to, to begin to see some light that, that even though Naomi and Ruth come back to, to Bethlehem with nothing, as, as Naomi describes herself, being empty, God is with them. He is providentially working in and through them and the people who are around them. And that as we see her now gleaning in the field, part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is her kinsman, we're going to see how God uses that to bless them. And that's, that's what we find not only in this story of Ruth, but that's what we find in the bigger story of God at work in the family of his people. That, that all of Israel was looking forward to that kinsman, that relative, that seed of the woman, that child of the promise, just as Isaac was to Abraham. The, the son of David who would come. This worthy man that God would provide to meet us in our emptiness. And that's the same kinds of things that we're seeing in Ruth is what we find in the Gospels, that, that he uses the literary means of things like foreshadowing and the introduction of characters. And that just as he's provided Boaz, he provides Jesus as the Christ, as the one who's not just a worthy man, but a perfect man, fully God and fully man. That just as Naomi and Ruth recognize their neediness, we are called to recognize our neediness. It's what Jesus told the Pharisees when they said, why are you dining and partying with 
sinners and prostitutes and horrible people. He says, I came to save the sick. The well don't need a doctor. And so we find Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Why? Because she knows she needs him. And so God is not only working providentially to make sure that Naomi and Ruth have enough to eat, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life who's come out of heaven. I'm not just here to feed you for today, but to give you eternal life forever. See, all of the foreshadowing that we find in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ who has come to refill us out of our emptiness, to, to take us in our spiritual deadness and to give us spiritual life to take us from our bitterness and make us truly grateful for all the wondrous things that he has done and blessed us with. God's provision through his providence always serves the purpose of his redeeming work. The providence of God, knowing everything that's going on. We were talking in the adult Sunday school about God sending out the, the patrols to see what was going on among the nations, not because he didn't know, but so that he could use that vision as a way of communicating to his people who were returning back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. I am in control. I know what's going on with the nations. I raise them up and I put them down again. And so Christ comes as the fulfillment of all of that foreshadowing. So perhaps that's new to you. Maybe you're, you've read the Bible before, you've heard these things, but you've never actually seen how it's not just these nice stories so that we might behave better, but these stories' actual purpose is to, to point us to Christ, to help us to see that we're far more needy than Naomi and Ruth were. That we desperately need a Savior, and that Savior is none other than Jesus. And whether it's a first time putting your faith in him, or your 8,000th, but all of life is meant for us to trust him. Just like in Leviticus, just like in Ruth, just like in Matthew and all 66 books of the Bible, that we might see his loving care for all of us as his people and each one in particular. Let's pray. Lord Christ, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for being the worthy man, the Messiah, the kinsman redeemer, the one who meets us in our emptiness and fills us with your perfect righteousness. We pray, Lord, that you might use these words, use the reality of how you worked in and through Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, that you would work in our being reminded of your provision in the law in Leviticus, that, that we might be far more willing to consider the ways that we work 
whether that's farming or hotel restaurant or medical service or business or raising a family or whatever work that you have given to us, that we would not be seeking to squeeze every last drop out of it as an indication of our lack of faith, but rather that we would delight in the abundance of what you have provided. That yes, we would be good stewards and use it well, but that we would not grasp at it as if it was what was most important, not you. Lord, we thank you that we can confess our sins to you, that we can, by your grace, turn from them and ask you, Lord Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to lead us in a generous, selfless life as we seek to follow you, Lord Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Thank you. You may be seated. It is Christ's faithfulness that we have on display here. The reason why we come and participate in communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the giving thanks for God's provision. And it's knowing His faithfulness that frees us up to trust one another because we know that God is faithful, that we can actually be generous with one another. We can not have to to try to make sure we get everything that we need because He's the one that's providing everything that we need. And so in the night in which Christ was betrayed, He took bread, and having blessed it, giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And also he took the cup, said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. What do we just say? We do this by remembering Christ, by remembering his faithfulness. What is it that Naomi was so struggling with? Oh, she remembered God's working with her. She just had a selective memory problem. She just remembered all of his disciplining, all of his difficulties that he brought in to wake her up and to make her realize her desperate need for him while she conveniently forgot all of the times that he is faithful. Just like you and me. We have selective memory issues. We forget his goodness to us, his faithfulness to us. And so rather than just allow us to continue on in our bitterness, Christ bids us to come together to this table, to see the bread, to see the cup, to be reminded, he gave everything for me. His body was broken, his blood shed. To to forgive us. And by so remembering that we might proclaim his death. What does that mean, proclaim his death? It's by participating in this meal together that we are saying to the watching world that we're letting everyone know Our God is faithful, faithful all the way to death on a cross. And not only did he die, but he's coming back, right? Remember that he said not only that we might remember and proclaim his death until he comes again, that this is a meal that we eat by remembering, by looking back at his faithfulness, but it's also a meal that we participate in looking forward to his return, that he has not only been faithful us to in the, us in the past, but he will be faithful for us forevermore. And so we eat and drink of Christ, that he might strengthen us, that he might nourish us, that he might enable us to trust him in ways that radically transform the way that we harvest that radically transform the way that we are generous with our neighbor, the way in which we pray for and encourage one another as brothers and sisters.
this is the table to which we come. And we can only come to it by faith. That's why if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you haven't put your faith in Him for salvation, we encourage you to just use this time as a time to reflect on what you've heard about the reality of what Christ has done. And that you only take the bread and take the cup if that's what you believe. And so demonstrate to the watching world that Christ is faithful. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for these ordinary things of bread and the fruit of the vine. We pray that you would bless them to your extraordinary purposes in communion. Not just as a visual aid, but as a means, as a sign and seal of your love covenant with us. Lord, that we would, in receiving these things together, not just individually, but being a part of your family that you are feeding, that we would delight in you, that we would trust you with our hardest disappointments, and that we would look forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb that is yet to come. We pray that you would do this, Lord Christ, for your glory. Amen. This time, we'll have the ushers and the elders come. In participating in this feast, there is the, the bread on these plates, and you'll notice that there's a, a cup in the middle with gluten-free bread. If that's what you need, please take whatever would serve you. Let us join the feast together in Christ's name.
Jesus himself is the bread who came down out of heaven to feed his people. Take and eat. God tells us that wine makes the heart glad. He's used it throughout the scripture to illustrate times of rejoicing and celebration. So as we partake of the fruit of the vine, this is a a time of celebration. This is a time for us to rejoice in the greatness of the freedom that Christ has secured for us. Let us delight in our Savior. We are needy people, and Christ's blood has washed us whiter than snow. All of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our condemnation, gone. 
in its place the perfect righteousness of Christ himself. Praise be to Christ. Hallelujah. Take and drink. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 310, Rejoice the Lord is King. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To all praise and glory be to Christ. Amen. Please be seated for a moment. Thank you. 
Praise be to Christ. I hope you can stay and enjoy some refreshments with us through the door here and to your left. Go now in peace.